0: like the heartbeat of all those people and thousands upon
1: thousands more pressing against the ship bridge to all decks there are a lot a lot of people listening to enterprise incidents with scott and steve i'm scott mance
2: and i'm steve morris and strangely enough i'm sitting in an exact replica of my office done to the most minute detail except in your case Everything works. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a big, big hint, of course, uh, on this episode of Enterprise Incidents. We are doing our deep dive into the mark of Gideon with this episode and the episodes left to come. Steve, can you believe that we're we're down to the last eight episodes of the original series on our journey through that series on Enterprise Incidents?
2: I can't. And it's, you know, it's weird. It's weird to go like, oh, okay, we're going to be done with that. I
1: know. soon yeah it's know. weird oh you know just like following the arc of the show the beginnings finding their feet hitting their strife hitting their peak and then tapering off and being on the other side of the arc i feel like that's certainly the case with with going episode by episode and now that we're we're on the the back end really the back end of it And seeing just the massive decline in quality of this show that reached such great heights with the Mock Time and Mirror Mirror and Doomsday Machine and With Whom Gods Destroy and Now The Mark of Gideon, these were two episodes that I had not watched for a very, very, very long time because I knew I didn't really like them and like, why am I going to like spend precious time rewatching an episode I didn't care about but I I actually think Steve that the mark of gideon is the episode of the original series that I have seen the least mm. and and have and probably it's been the longest since I've actually seen it up until the rewatch for the purposes of this conversation now what has your take been on the mark of gideon over these years like like you I haven't watched it a ton as an adult and
2: You know, it's sort of the same thing that I was saying before is uh, about other episodes is like, if I were kind of sitting and half paying attention to this episode, it would be, you know, not great, but whatever. The more you pay attention to it, the worse it gets, you know, and that's sort of where we've been with a bunch of these episodes lately. and, And it really, but I do think one thing you and I have proven is that it isn't the third season. It is the second half of the third season. Yes, you know that's the real and and maybe if we looked if I looked at the uh, broadcast order rather than production order, some of those would have happened earlier, and maybe that's what gives the impression. For sure, but in production order, it's this is we you know we've hit it where you're having multiple not good episodes in a row. That's the second half of the third season.
1: Well, if you actually take into account that the first half of the of the third season was really really quite strong. And at least close to the quality of the first and second season, when the third season was given the green light, it was given an episode order of sixteen episodes. So after the initial the initial order of those sixteen episodes culminated with whom God's Destroy. NBC ordered two more interim episodes before making the final decision to close out season three with a total of 24 episodes, which also closed out the series itself. So The Mark of Gideon was the first of those episodes, but with the exception of like, well, let that be your last battlefield and an episode that I really love coming up, which is all our yesterdays. You know, this this last part of the third season is really like, oh, and I'm not this one or not that one. Oh, my gosh. The Way to Eden. Oh, my gosh. We got to get into that. But uh, but I am really looking forward to all our yesterdays. But regardless, The Mark of Gideon was the 71st episode of the original series to air on January 17th, 1969. It was the 73rd episode to film. And it was shot on schedule in six days between October 23rd and October 31st, 1968. The total cost for the, the Mark of Gideon, Steve, is 166,416 dollars, hmm. which is almost twelve thousand dollars under budget. And watching this episode, you could see we yeah. really, you know, they they did not they did not splurge at all. And even the, you know, the, uh, the score was tracked. So, so just overall, my feeling about the Mark of Gideon is that, boy, was it daring. And the first time that a broadcast television series took on the controversial topic, the provocative topic of overpopulation. And don't you think that for its time, that when this aired in 1969, for for a Star Trek episode to take on a subject like this was really bold, but the execution was anything but. So a, a, a couple
2: of things about this. The first is, is that, and I looked it up, is in 1968, and, I, and I'm and i assuming it was before this episode was made, uh, the book The Population Bomb was released uh, by Paul Elric and his wife, Anne. He's a Stanford professor. And this was a A huge sensation, this book. And this is the book that really started, like when we were kids, we heard a lot about overpopulation. And the philosophy has changed a lot. And a bunch of the predictions they made in the book didn't come true, although I do still think overpopulation is a big thing. So my guess is is that it was from that book that they came up with this idea. The second thing is, you know, we just did a couple of episodes. We did um, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, which is obviously dealing with race. And I think and, and does an amazing job. And I think this is an episode about overpopulation that manages to do very little <laughs> about actual overpopulation. But what I thought you were going to bring up is it's not the fact that a Star Trek episode is talking about overpopulation that I find amazing. It's talking about abortion, birth control, like those topics come up. Pro-life. In, yeah. But, you know, the, that stuff is coming up. That is what really surprised me. And, and, and I think, I mean, we'll get to the scene. But I think that scene was edited out of the version that I watched most of the time. Oh, because I because I found that dialogue it came out of no. I remember
1: most of the episode, and I remember there was a scene. Well, we'll get to it. But I, yeah, that really surprised me. Well, you you, you mentioned this book that came out that was very very topical for for its time around that and, and might have yeah. inspired the Mark of Gideon, but I did a little bit of research worthy mm. of Steve Morris. Oh, so. So, the fact that this episode tackled overpopulation, I just think personally that compared to like nuclear war or, or you know, intolerance or so many other things, you know, uh, uh, global warming, I feel like overpopulation is the most vital problem facing mm-hmm. the human race. And it is one that gets talked about the least. Take, for example, in the year 1500, there were less than a half a billion people in the world, Right. 458 million people. This is all, all these stats are from the United Nations. So by 1800, the year 1800, that doubled, more than doubled, to 1 billion with a B, 1 billion people. Then 150 years later in 1950, that more than doubled to 2.5 billion billion people. Now by the time Mark of Gideon aired in 1969 in January of 1969, there were now more than 3.5 billion people on the planet. And that number has more than doubled because by the end of 2022, it's projected that the world population will exceed 8 billion people. Yep. So by the by the airing of this episode, 3.5 billion by the end of 2022, more than doubling to 8 billion. Going even further than that, by the year 2050, it's going to be at almost 10 billion. And then by 2100, more than 11 billion people. And I mean, that is like, those are staggering, staggering, staggering numbers. And here was an episode that talked about it in 1969, but boy, did they talk about it. Sometimes very, very slowly, (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like without urgency and there are there are scenes that are that are redundant and and i feel like if there was ever like an episode that could have used that that great kirk speech written by gene Kuhn, it was this one but it, it it was staggering to me during this rewatch steve how much this episode resonated because of the subject matter and because of things like What you just said, because I certainly picked up on the pro-life aspect too, but how ineffective it is. It is such an epic fail because it it, it's such a daring topic, one that should be talked about certainly more than it is. And and the way that it is talked about in this episode is almost by Star Trek standards, at least original series standards, almost amateurish. And that is despite the fact that the teleplay was written by two people: George Slavin. And Stanley Adams. So George Slavin had TV credits on Maverick, Combat, The Flying Nun, because nothing says more TV seriousness than The Flying Nun, <laughs> and Hawaii Five O. His writing partner is was Stanley Adams. Now Stanley Adams should sound familiar. Does sound familiar? Okay, because I know trekkers are enterprisers. Listening to this uh, podcast will recognize the name Stanley Adams, because Stanley Adams as an actor played Cyrano Jones in oh. Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, I, so I thought, wait a minute, how ironic that this episode was co-written by Stanley Adams, which would make it his second brush with overpopulation. I'm just going to say the same thing. That's really funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, uh, Between 1,771,000 Tribbles to, uh, to, uh, you know, the, the overpopulation and, uh, uh the Mark of Gideon. But, uh, uh, it Slavin and Adams wrote their first story outline. Uh, it was dated June 27th, 1968. And at the time the episode was called no place to die, which is not to be confused with a James Bond movie called no time to die. Right. (laughs) But then with the revised outline, then the title was changed to the Mark of Gideon. That was on July 12th. Slavin and Adams proceeded all the way through a, a, a revised second draft teleplay on October 9th. And Arthur Singer wrote his rewrite on October 11th. And Print Freiberger did his revisions between October 21st uh, through November 1st, which is actually the day after this episode wrapped, uh, wow. which just shows you how like disorganized things were by this point. Uh, but this is the fourth of five episodes to be directed by uh, Judd Taylor. And uh, like I said, the score was tracked. But, uh, you know, I'm sure there was a lot going on <laughs> around that Ac- time. That was better than the episode itself. Uh, yes, I
2: at least one thing, a couple things, maybe. It wasn't the heaviest uh, news week. Uh, as you said, it's October 23rd through the 31st of 68. On the 23rd, it was the last mission of the fastest plane in the world. The X-15 rocket plane flew to which uh, Chuck Yeager flew. Uh he wasn't flying this particular
1: flight, but it went to Mach five point three eight and that was its last flight. I was gonna ask you I, that that rocket that that jet sounds familiar is that the jet that he flew at the end of the right stuff? I believe that it is, yeah, yeah. I
2: know that he set a whole bunch of records uh in that plane. The first one he flew, I think is the x two and that's what he broke the sound barrier
1: in. right the glamorous Glenis.
2: Yes, very excellent, excellent memory. On October 25th is the first live performance of a little band called Led
1: Zeppelin. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and it was at Surrey University. Can you imagine being like at Surrey University when Led Zeppelin takes the stage? That must I much, right? Awesome. <laughs> uh,
2: on October 31st, you know, uh, recently we were talking about how Nixon – wanted the war in Vietnam to continue because it was better. He felt it was better for him for his election. We're getting right up to the 68 election now because it's October 31st. It's coming very soon. Johnson announces that things are going really well at the Paris peace talks, and he orders a complete cessation of all bombardment of North Vietnam. This is five days before the election, and suddenly Hubert Humphrey starts catching up. So it sounds like both sides are manipulating the Vietnam War in order to get it to their advantage. Wow. And that is all that's going on in the world. That's all I have. <laughs> uh, I think things were much, much busier on the on the planet Gideon.
1: But you wouldn't know it when you watched the episode. <laughs> <would you? laughs>
2: um, so do uh, you want to get into the show? Let's do it. All right. So we're orbiting Gideon. There's difficult treaty negotiations. And basically they said... Look, only one person can beam down, and that is Captain Kirk. And the one thing we hear is that we've heard it's like a virtual paradise down on Gideon.
3: I shall be interested in hearing
0: your description, Captain. You won't have long to wait.
1: Okay, remember this moment, because Kirk says you won't have long to wait. And only Spock is in the transporter room when Kirk is about to beam down. I bring that up because that's going to come back later in the conversation. Well, I, I'm glad you brought it because the thing is, it, the line doesn't actually make sense. And it, they've, they put
2: it in here to make that moment that's going to happen later. And as you say, the moment doesn't make sense either. It's like, it, it's just bad writing. It doesn't make um, sense
1: now. And it doesn't make sense later, especially yep. when we get to the later point. I'll tell you why. We confirm our coordinates. All of this is
2: kind of taking longer. We have no extras. It's just Mr. Spock. He beams down and then he reappears in the exact same spot. On in an empty transporter room. The the first thought I had, by the way, is because spoiler alert, this is not really the enterprise, this is a fake enterprise. Is this whole concept, it's it's like you know, we did wink of an eye, and the the concept just the more you thought about it, it just doesn't make sense. Sure. This one's even worse.
1: Oh you know? if, there, if if you thought wink of an eye didn't hold up under even the slightest bit of scrutiny, boy, is this episode the mother load. When it comes to not holding up. First of all, let's let's start with the fact that Kirk is beaming down by himself. I can mm-hmm. get I, I get that if it's a diplomatic mission why he wouldn't have his phaser with him. But you mean to tell me that he's not even going to have his communicator with him? Yep. That's a big problem right there. Second of all, this is the only time I think in any episode of Star Trek, let alone the original series or any other series that followed, all the way up to Strange New Worlds, where you actually hear the coordinates being provided to yep. the transporter officer. And it's it's a plot device to set the episode in motion. But unfortunately, it's a plot device that doesn't work at all because the person getting those coordinates, even the wrong ones later on, you're talking about someone who corrects crew members, even the captain, when he doesn't have yep. things down to the actual 100th of a percentage. So when we get into you know this thing with the the transposed numbers, you know that's something that Spock should have picked up like right away but he doesn't. Yep. But still when Kirk beams back aboard the Enterprise and Spock isn't there, like I think this is a really good teaser.
2: I agree. I I think it is I think it is too um because he 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 calls for Spock, he looks around, he goes out the door, ends up on a completely empty bridge, calls engineering, calls for Lieutenant Uhura.
0: All bridge personnel report immediately.
1: We see just empty corridors.
0: Kirk, to crew, is anyone aboard?
1: Now, what does this remind you of? What does all this remind you of? Maybe this side of paradise? Exactly. This is only the second time in the entire series... Where you saw Kirk alone on the bridge. And I thought it was interesting that when he the first person he calls for from his console is Scotty. Yeah. Because that was he was the first person that Kirk called for in The Side of Paradise. Now in The Side of Paradise, Scotty wasn't even in that episode. He was just mentioned. Um, but I just remember when I when I was a little kid watching the Mark of Gideon for the first time, thinking. Oh my God! Where's the crew? Kirk is the only one. Something must have happened to the crew, in between the moment that Kirk beamed out and beamed back in. Like, what could it be? Some alien? Was it a disease? Did some catastrophic thing wipe out the crew, holding them hostage? Like, I just thought this could be one of so many different things, all of them being extremely cool. And then. You know, <laughs> it's, not. it's something else. Yeah. But you're right.
2: It is a good teaser. Um, and it's sort of like a Twilight Zone episode. You know, that's how it feels when it starts out. That's not where it goes. Yeah, right. Um, one, one thing to point out is we see that we're still orbiting uh, Gideon on the screen, which is something, again, that's going to change. And, and I have no idea why. It makes mm. no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is the end of the teaser. We come back in Act 1. Kirk is kind of wandering through the corridors. And this is my first big problem. Is the the lack of a sense of urgency. You know, your 430 people just disappeared. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like this is a big, big deal. And the like a you know, a basic writing thing is go like, well, what would you do? What w- I'm Kirk, what would I do? He's not really doing anything. Is the ship in control? Is it in good working? You know, he would do stuff.
1: Right, exactly. Know? Yeah. I mean, like when Kirk beamed aboard the, the constellation. And he saw that uh, there were no survivors, and he's like, "Oh, there's no bodies either. There's got to be an answer." Like, where's that urgency? This whole episode is lacking in urgency. Yeah, I mean, Kirk's first, his absolute first priority is the safety of his crew, and there is nobody aboard the Enterprise. And yeah, sure, he's startled, he's probably a little freaked out. He's he's probably just you know observing and just trying to catch up with like what could have happened, but there's still a lack of urgency, a lack of suspense. For something that should be just brimming with suspense. Exactly. And we hear not in a captain's log, but in voiceover. The one thing that is obvious
0: is that I suffered a memory lapse during which time I bruised my arm. It is causing me some irritation.
2: So I think that's a, it's just a terrible idea. Because what was cool about the teaser was he literally beamed to the same place.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now he knows that he lost and later on we hear that it was nine minutes well, that means he didn't beam to the same place. You know what I mean? Like, right. that means something else. It actually ruins this idea. It's just a stupid idea anyway, but it, this makes it less good. <laughs> and I think this is just totally wasted. We cut from there to the bridge, and there is Uhura. And okay, if you're going to do this, you're going to introduce this idea, Kirk's all alone. And as you said, in the teaser, it's very suspenseful. Well, now you just ruined it. Yeah. Like, it doesn't come at a moment that's exciting or thrilling. It just is like, oh, I guess it's not what we thought it was. All right. You know,
1: like, what if, what if this episode was structured in a way where, where you are spending the first half of the episode with Kirk alone on the Enterprise, trying to figure out what happened to him, what happened to his crew? Not in that order. Obviously, what happened to his crew first. And then maybe by the time you get to the end of Act 2 – there's some reveal I right where you some some big reveal where you're back on the Enterprise with Spock on the bridge and it's it's the full Enterprise. Well, it's like, I mean, I said Twilight
2: Zone, like one of the greatest Twilight Zone episodes of all time is called Eye of the Beholder. And we're doing this, you know, pl- plastic surgery on someone, a woman who is, we hear, horribly ugly, but it's all through these POV shots, and you don't really see the doctors, you don't really see her until. They take off the bandages and they go, oh, no, it didn't work. I'm spoiling a 50 year old episode of television, but 60, 60, probably they go, oh, no, it didn't work. And then we see that she's beautiful and that all the doctors are hideously ugly. Mm -hmm. And it's like that is that kind of a twist at, as you say, at the end of act two,
1: where we go, oh, my God, this is totally different from what I thought would have been super exciting like like a gene coon twist uh uh, where where the episode completely flips over like he he did so many times in like devil in the dark and metamorphosis and even even in let that be your last battlefield which he just wrote the story for the flip being that oh these guys just don't like each other because it's a race thing not because really of anything else um but that would have been a great flip like, oh, right. my God. And that, you know, then you get to spend the third and fourth act like dealing with like the root of the problem here, which is the overpopulation. And then because you only have two acts to do it, it it, it speeds things up be might, exactly. might fast, you know. Um, but that's not what happens.
2: <laughs> We're on the bridge of the Enterprise and the ambassador from the planet Gideon is calling and says, where's Captain Kirk? We thought you were transporting him down. And they're like, we we sent him down. By the way, Chekhov is standing next to Spock holding like a clipboard. It is just weird. I don't know what he's doing there. He's just standing there.
1: Well, um, that, that guy, the ambassador, Ambassador Hoden, is played mm. by David Hurst. Uh, he was on TV shows like The Man from U.N.C.L.E., Mission Impossible, Dark Shadows. On the big screen, he did uh, really notable films like Hello, Dolly, Kelly's Heroes, and The Boys from Brazil, which is an mm. incredible movie. But boy is David Hurst, or at least his character, Ambassador Hoden, irritating beyond irritating and even Spock is irritated with them <laughs> well and
2: this is something i wanted to bring up is that one of the weird challenges in writing or and in directing is like let's say i want to show boredom i want to show these characters be really bored or really frustrated or really irritated you want to convey that th- emotion to the audience without having your audience feel irritated bored and frustrated <laughs> you know i mean like you want you, they could feel that a little bit yeah. but you but you want it to be really interesting and captivating, even though this character is really ir- irritating. That is not how I feel. I just yeah. feel irritated.
1: yeah, you know, you know, and not just because of this. I mean, you know, the irritation proceeds for so many other reasons that we'll we'll get to. So Spock is
2: saying, look, we beam the guy down and they're saying we don't have him and they're talking about the coordinates and then we get into like, you know, has Spock called them a liar and
1: they get irritated and... And Spock keeps referring to the ambassador as your excellency. And every time he says the words, your excellency, you can see, you can almost see Spock like gritting his teeth uh, because he's getting, uh, you know, starting to get very irritated, you know, which is very unspock like, but this, this moment they're passing the buck, you know, Hoden keeps passing the buck back to Spock saying, well, you know, should have beamed down. He's not here. You you can look for him. You know, like, like, first of all, that's a big fat red flag right there. I mean, there's no way that Spock would just sort of stand by. I mean, this, this planet isn't, isn't even a member of the Federation yet. Here's my
2: question. Does Spock ever believe that this guy's telling the truth?
1: No, I don't think he does. I
2: don't think there's any reason to believe he's telling the truth. Right. I mean, you know, the transporter's working, you know? Like, it's just so... But he's behaving as if he's giving some credence to the guy. Like, Spock's behavior doesn't quite make sense here.
3: I request permission to beam down to conduct the
4: search for our captain. Permission denied. Your Federation must be aware of our jealous tradition of isolation from all contaminating contacts with a violent nature planets of other star systems your
3: excellency the wars between opposing star systems no longer prevail in our galaxy i'm like really
1: yeah do <laughs> did
2: you what about day of the dove like
1: what yeah, if, I mean, yeah. Like, what about the balance of terror yeah sure i <laughs> mean there
2: seems like there's a lot of i mean yeah you have a treaty with the klingons but it doesn't seem to be working that well <laughs> not <I mean>. yet
4: of <laughs> course we shall institute a thorough search in the meantime, Mr. Spock, I suggest that you look to your machinery.
2: And he signs off. And
3: Spock says... We must acknowledge once and for all that the purpose of diplomacy is to prolong a crisis.
1: What do you think of that line? And what do you think that it came
2: from Spock? It makes no sense. And it's, it's almost like a violation of basic Star Trek principles. You know? Like... The, great. Yeah. The first person who wants diplomacy is Spock. I mean... They don't know that he's going to become an ambassador later on. But like, he's always arguing, you know, not for violence. And how can we work this out? It's totally bizarre. Then this one's even worse. Well, what are we waiting
3: for, Mr. Spock? We're not diplomats.
2: This is the guy who told Kirk,
1: you're a soldier so often you forget you're also a diplomat. Uh, You know, it's so funny. As soon as you said mccoy's line i thought back quickly to metamorphosis when he said yep. you forget your are sol- a soldier so much uh, you forget that you're also a diplomat try waving a carrot instead of a stick well and you think about what about
2: a private little war yeah you know mm-hmm. it's like mccoy is the person who's always wants the peaceful
1: way of doing it so these make no sense for our characters and, and again the the reason for this steve is because you have people working on the show who were not around yeah. when any of those episodes were being produced. Now they should have seen those episodes because you know Freiberger and Arthur Singer certainly by this point they should have at least gone back to watch episodes that they had not worked on, so they like so they get it, but they didn't, and it shows in the writing. Um, and and it continues
2: to be weird uh, with this talk of diplomacy and what we do here is that the planet is shielded so they can't actually search it they're only dependent upon the coordinates from them
3: are there any other possibilities they are endless Mr. Chekhov
2: which is a good spot line
3: institute a sensor scan 360 degrees one degree at a time going to scan space for him. But sir, that could take years.
1: I suggest you start right away. <laughs> yeah.
2: The thing is, what he doesn't say is, it's obvious that this ambassador is lying. Why would they want to kidnap the captain? You know, like this idea, we're going to search space. He doesn't believe, he shouldn't believe that Kirk is
1: in space. I, absolutely. I mean, this is where the episode feels just stretched out, padded, redundant, like the, it's filler. It's filler. Where's... Well, Let's cut to the chase here. All right. I mean, either either one th- do one of two things, either either hold off the big reveal that Kirk is actually not on the Enterprise till a later moment to build that suspense up or, or get to the heart of the matter. But but all this talking and standing around and the passing the buck with Hoden and Spock and Spock back to Hoden. It's like, let's go. Come on.
2: Does this episode ever remind you of a taste of Armageddon, by the way?
1: Boy, that's night. It's night and day in terms of execution, in terms of talk about urgency and action uh, and vitality. Uh, how, why do you think it does? So I think it's mostly because
2: the ambassador has a beard and kind of there's like a similar thing. And oh. there's also a woman who's willing to die for her planet, you know, and a culture that we don't quite understand. And, the ambassador is lying to the enterprise about what's happened to captain Kirk and the enterprise is trying to figure out, you know, what do we do? And, and it's like, but a taste of Armageddon, it's all, it's just, as you said, it's all exciting and thrilling and action packed and thought provoking. And this is none of those things. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, we're back to Kirk again. He's just walking around. He doesn't seem to be doing anything. And there we see this woman
1: kind of spinning and dancing and enjoying the open space. We learn this woman's name is O'Donna. She's played by Sharon Acker, who was on TV in shows like Encounter, Festival, It Takes a Thief, Marcus Welby, M.D., Cannon, The Rockford Files, and Galactica, 1980. But on the big screen, she was on the 1967 film Point Blank. She played mm. Lee Marvin's wife, and she was also in the early 1980s uh, teen exploitation horror thriller Happy Birthday to Me oh I remember that movie yeah yeah that was a good one yep um, It's horror those, movies not my thing but. but but those early 80s horror movies like like uh what was it uh my bloody Valentine oh yeah yeah, yeah. and terror train prom night uh I loved all those movies uh because they were so cheesy I was I
2: I I was just too easily frightened. I never I never liked horror movies.
1: I can't imagine yeah. Steve Mars being frightened of anything.
2: <laughs> I have a very particularly when I was a kid, just a really active imagination, and so I would just run through. I would my my mind would circle on. Oh things. wow wow yeah. I, I I don't think I'm easily frightened of real things. <laughs>
1: are, are there any Are there any moments from any of those early horror films that when you watch or think about those moments today, they still scare you? Um,
2: so I will tell you the scariest horror film I didn't see as a kid is the commercial for the exorcist. When the, when the exorcist commercial came on TV, I hid behind the couch. Like I was so scared of it. And that whole concept, I didn't see that movie until I was 25. You know, it is a great film, but it still freaks me out. Like we did it on the cinephiles and it's just, it freaks me out.
1: Yeah. The, you know, when I was when I was 13 and I saw John Carpenter's The Thing, mm. you know, that movie was a bomb when it came out on June 25th, 1982. Of course, now it's a classic. Everybody loves yeah. it. It's one of the scariest. I, I think it holds up incredible. But the scene when the doll goes into the cage with the oh, other yeah. dogs and turns into the alien and and like starts to infect the other dogs. I mean, yeah. I know it's make-believe. I know it's just practical visual effects and everything. But I was re-watching the thing just recently because it's been a while since I'd seen it. I'm like, oh my God, this movie's amazing. But that moment just took me back to when I was 13 years old I was 13 yeah. years old for a split moment and I was getting really upset yeah. <laughs> watching the dogs get hurt, you know? Um, but needless to say, this is not
0: a horror movie.
5: <laughs> Why did you bring me here?
0: What are you doing on my ship?
1: Is this entire ship yours?
0: Not my personal property, but I'm the captain.
1: I just have to dispute Kirk's comment. It's not my personal property. How many times have we heard Kirk say <laughs> the words... Uh, get off my ship or, or my ship, or, or or, don't worry about me. Just protect my ship. It is his, the enterprise is his. In fact, not only, not only does, did he use those words so many times, but he even stole the enterprise in star Trek three, the enterprise is his.
2: (laughs) I agree. You have totally persuaded me. Um, and then a really weird moment. He grabs her.
5: You're hurting me captain
0: Kirk. I'm sorry. James Kirk.
2: Like he grabs her so hard. He's hurting her. Why? Like why in that moment? Um, And then the, throughout this entire episode, the way that he talks to her and the questions that he asks her make no sense. Like there's so many things where he should be asking her things and he's not.
1: Well, Um, I mean, like he should be cutting to the chase. What, who are you? How did you get here? Where's my crew? Like, where'd you come from? I mean, like, like, He's just taking his time with it. Like it's almost like Judd Taylor said. All right, Bill, we got forty nine minutes to flesh out here. Yeah. take your time with the dialogue.
2: Well, and he's asking her some questions, and she's having trouble remembering. And and so here. So first of all, is she actually having any trouble remembering anything?
1: No, I don't think so.
2: No, no. no this, is not. this is an act. This is an act. it's a really weird act. Like what? it well, let me. I was debating when to ask this question, but I'm just gonna ask it right now. Why are the people of Gideon doing this? What's their what are the, what is their goal?
1: The goal is to get Captain Kirk to say stay on the planet so he can infect the population and people can start dying off, and they'll they'll have better control over the population and bring paradise back to their world. And why? Yes, I agree with all that. Yes, that's exactly it. Why build a fake Enterprise? But, well, that is where where the plausibility goes out the window. Like first of all, why build an exact replica of the Enterprise just to fake out Captain Kirk? Second of all, next to Scotty, nobody knows the Enterprise like Kirk. Kirk knows a ship like the back of his hand, and no matter how much someone is going to build an exact replica, Captain Kirk is going to know pretty damn fast, wait a minute, this is not my ship. This is uh something's going on here. Like at this point in the episode, he sh- still should not believe that that he's even on the Enterprise. He should know, come on, like Spock knew right away. So, so let's separate out these two things because I think I totally agree with you. But I want to go back
2: to why they did this because in we know that he got knocked out for nine minutes and they stole his blood and infected her. So that's done, right? Does she need to spend any time? And they kind of have this thing of, oh, we want him to fall in love with her. But it's like, why don't they just have him be unconscious? You know, while she gets sick, like why do any of and the, the, the ridiculous insanity he like, could just like, have her in a room with her
1: or, you know, or once once you have once you've taken Kirk's blood and you've infected her with it, you're like, done. Just let her let her free among the people like like what? Let nature take its course. You don't need well, to hold Kirk there anymore. Well, if you took some of his blood, infect 50 people with it. Yeah. Yeah, like, no, it, look, you're right. There's a it, lot, it, there's a lot of questions here. Well,
2: and this is the and this is the other thing I want to say about this is that they said, hey, I got an idea. Let's do an episode about overpopulation. And how are we gonna do this episode about overpopulation in a completely empty ship with nobody? Like <laughs> yeah. we this goes to like we're not emotionally experiencing anything having to do with overpopulation.
1: Well, it, it you know, these questions are extremely valid. And the fact that you're asking these questions ju- shows just how much that, that uh, Slabin and uh, Adams, the writers of the episode, were justifiably irritated by the rewrites because, mm. Steve, in earlier versions of The Mark of Gideon, the Gideons took over the Enterprise in an effort to use not just Captain Kirk, but the entire crew to spread disease throughout the mm. population. And while captured, the Enterprise crew members go on a hunger strike. They refuse to eat. Uh, Oh, wow. uh, Yeah, because, you know, this was the third season and Fred Freiberger, the third season producer, his mandate was to, you know, bring it in on budget and on schedule. He lost all the involvement with the crew to focus more on Kirk. But also in the earlier version, even after all this was changed, Scotty was the one who was chosen to be O'Donnell's blood host, not kirk Mm. Uh, not not Kirk, but you know, uh you're right. It's it's a it's it's a it's an interesting uh paradox that here's an episode about overpopulation and yet the enterprise is completely empty. Like yeah. where did they get the room to build this thing? Now, now I've heard that question come up a lot. Like, where did they find the room to build a full-scale mock-up of the enterprise? Right. And I always thought, well, if they couldn't do it on the planet's surface, maybe they did it subterranean, maybe it was below ground. That I would have kind of bought. But then if you could build a big empty space
2: below ground, they would probably fill it with people. I mean, the the real reason that the people of Gideon decided to build an exact replica of the Enterprise was because they needed to figure out how to do a bottle show for the show Star Trek. You know, that's why this is that's why this is happening. That's why Um, the show came in. Twelve thousand dollars under budget. Right. Um, And he she describes she can't remember some stuff, but she can remember where she was before and she says
5: yes i was standing in a large auditorium crowded with people thousands pressed in against me i could hardly breathe i was fighting for oxygen screaming to get out
2: and she's getting kind of freaked out by this yep the idea that she can remember some stuff but can't remember other stuff is really weird and the fact that kirk is not asking her more questions about this is part of what doesn't make sense.
1: Well, well, going back to your point, this is all an act. She remembers a whole lot more than she's letting on. Of course. Yeah. But that's why Kirk should be asking her questions. Exactly.
0: <laughs> How long have you been aboard the Enterprise?
5: I don't know. Not long. Is it important? It might be. <laughs> of course it
0: is. <laughs> I mean,
5: it might be. What it might
2: be is, it? Is like a question that should lead to another thing, but it doesn't. Right, right, right. We're back on the real bridge and Uhura is reporting on the bureaucracy of Starfleet. She says,
4: they insist the matter must be referred to the Federation. What department? The Bureau of planetary treaties.
2: Contact them directly.
4: I did Mr. Spock.
2: But again, it's like, so we're dealing with bureaucracy, which we've never heard of before. A, and it's just boring. It just is time consuming. We cut back to the fake bridge and he mentions Gideon.
5: What is Gideon?
1: That's your home planet that you come from and again this is where you would ask more questions you know yeah, no absolutely absolutely again this is the urgency that is severely lacking well and why doesn't she just
2: say yeah i'm from gideon right because they want him to care enough about the overpopulation of gideon that he
1: stays yeah they do but why doesn't she just say that she's from gideon? i never understood why she doesn't just say she's from gideon like that well, she- that's why
2: this memory loss it, thing is so yeah. yeah it's so weird i agree And now he looks out, and instead of orbiting Gideon, there's stars out there. We're no longer over
0: Gideon.
5: Where are we?
2: I don't know. I'm not familiar with that quadrant. A, why did we switch from orbiting Gideon to stars? No idea. B, Kirk's lack of urgency... Like, I don't know where the Enterprise is. And apparently, by the way, they're traveling at warp speed because we hear later on he's going to slow them down. So we're somewhere I don't know. The ship is traveling faster than the speed of light,
1: and he doesn't do anything. How did, how did it get out of orbit? Like, how, how did you get, you know, he's in this quadrant, and he can just look at the stars and know. He, he wasn't looking at, like, like any instrumentation, nothing no. any of that works. He's looking out the view screen and saying, oh, those stars don't look familiar. Like, I, well, I would expect Spock to say something like that, but not Kirk.
2: Well, a, a, that's ridiculous. And B, well, if you don't know where you are, you would there, there's, there's got to be some equipment on the Enterprise to figure out where you are. Yep. <laughs> like there's a computer and there's all this stuff. He would be doing that. And then really? he would discover that the ship doesn't work, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, the ship doesn't work. <laughs> um,
0: you must realize that we're not here by accident. Some force, some intelligence has arranged this for a purpose.
5: Captain... Before I said I wasn't afraid. Now I am.
2: And I wrote down worst act break ever.
1: Ever. Oh my God. This is an act break worthy. I hate to say it. Of the next generation. Those act breaks compared to the original series. Just were not the same. I'm not. Now I am not dissing the next generation. I love the next generation. But it was not the same show. I guess it shouldn't have been. But this is. In in terms of act breaks, not teasers, this is the weakest act break in the entire original series. And, you know, it got me thinking, Jay, this would never have happened in season one or season two. No, of course not. And, you know, by this point, like we were talking about before, the third season was really on its last legs. You had all the creatives who made Star Trek what it was are completely gone. Even Bob Justman was gone by this point. So I was looking up some interviews and, you know, hearing some of the cast members talk about the problems and especially the latter part of the third season is really interesting. So in a 1974 interview, the Forest Kelly said the third year was not a good year because there was too much going on problems with the network thinking we were going to be dropped bad time slots A kind of internal revolution took place, so to speak, and it began to show. Now, George Takei, on the other hand, said, despite our setbacks, despite the poor time slot, and despite the low rating numbers that started to come in confirming our worst fears, the cast members threw themselves into each script with the same dedication as before. The scripts may not have been what they were the previous two seasons, but the integrity of the performers remained unchanged episode after stressful episode. Now, this last quote, Steve, I'm going to say what the quote is. I want you to try and guess who said it. Okay, here it is. In the third year, William Shatner held the show together. By that time, he had the power to change things in the script. When a script wasn't up to snuff, Bill would say, come on, we have to do so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. He had that power. Leonard did too. But Leonard was more interested in protecting the character of Spock. I think Bill was more interested in the series. So here is a quote praising Shatner's dedication in the face of unbeatable odds. Now, who do you think said these very praiseworthy words about Shatner?
2: So first of all it would be hilarious if it was Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> no, was not. But uh uh I I I would s- the weirdest one for it to be would be Sulu, would be George Takei, because of all their conflicts, but I I guess
1: uh D Kelly? Well, I don't know. actually who else other than George Takei had conflicts with Shatner was Jimmy Doan. Right. You know, and the fact that Doan who also like like George Takei and certainly like Nichelle Nichols had problems with Shatner for whatever reasons, the fact that he was able to say, all right, you know what? Despite all that, he held that show together. It's third season. Hmm. Uh, You know, even Nimoy said that there is so much of Captain Kirk in William Shatner. Um, And I think it's kind of cool that, that, that everyone sort of like said, you know, Shatner really, really gave it his all in that third season. You know, even Fred Freiberger uh, really liked William Shatner because because when the third season was getting underway, Freiberger said to Shatner, "He said, Look, I, you know, I'm new to this whole thing. I might need your help.'" And Shatner said, "Whatever you need, I'm I'm here to help. Just say the word." So Shatner's dedication to making the third season work, even though the stories were not as stories were not as good, but I just think it's interesting that that yeah. it, James Doohan was, was going out of his way to praise Shatner uh, despite everything else.
2: Um, Totally. So we're back in act two and w- there's another really long conversation with the ambassador down on the planet. And I'm not going to just go into it. The big thing is they say, Hey, good news. We looked no captain Kirk. So it must <laughs> be on you.
1: <laughs>
2: and there's all this conversation about language and stuff like that. That's, you know, I I don't find terribly interesting. What I do find interesting is after we're all getting totally irritated with ambassador Hoden McCoy, who is standing right next to Spock in a full voice says,
0: you're going to let him get away with that. No matter what you say, Mr. Spock, he'll twist your meaning.
5: Yes. He's
4: infuriating, sir. How can you stand it?
1: And like, did they turn the mic off? it's almost like 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 hoden should have said i'm right here i know well and then he he says something he says
4: mr spock mr spock
3: yes your excellency are you still there yes your excellency
4: there was considerable interference with your transmission a lot of noise drowned out what was said
2: so did hoden hear what they said or not i think he did
4: i think it's just like must have
1: it's ridiculous that also, they would say this. Also, isn't it like for all your senior officers to sort of question your authority in front of uh, uh, an alien? <laughs> yeah, uh, isn't that insubordination? <laughs> well, it, well, and yeah,
2: and stupid, and and you know, it's like Captain Kirk's life is in danger here, right? And you're going to piss off the guy that's like probably holding him captive.
4: I'll not take that, Mister Spock. That transporter was in perfect condition. I guarantee that myself. Transport me down right this minute and I'll prove to those gentlemen.
2: (laughs) And Spock basically goes, go to your room. (laughs) Scotty. (laughs) Um, So he kicks him out. And again, we have a moment of like, uh, what was that?
3: The ship's engineer was explaining that the malfunction which did exist has now been repaired. We would appreciate an opportunity to test the equipment. I therefore request permission to beam down to your council chamber
2: why would he say that he just said it was our fault right that takes away all his negotiating power if it's
1: our fault then why should he beam down this this whole exchange we're now in the middle of act two and we're still we still have this uh bickering going on between Spock and the ambassador yeah I mean this nothing has advanced
2: as opposed to and you know I don't like it but as opposed to General Order 24 in Taste of Armageddon, right. you know, where it's like tension and scary and are we going to kill people and what's going to happen? You know, this is just bickering, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we finally come up with, hey, we fixed the transporter, so I'm going to beam down. And they say, great, but we're going to beam someone up. Do We want you to beam someone up. And they give him coordinates. And this is, again, as you say – Spock should, A, recognize the coordinates, and they probably are in the computer, like you could see that they're not the same right, right. on the transporter, and but we don't mention it at all at this time, but Spock does
1: know it later on. I mean, listen, as soon as the coordinates were given, those the last three numbers in this case being 709, whereas before they were 079, Spock should have immediately, with a snap of a finger, said... Yeah wait a minute hold the phone and a, another reason that Spock is out of character in this episode like, he should have totally picked up on that right away
2: yeah well and and the thing is the then and, and we also don't have a moment where he does pick up on it he just later on knows it so did he pick? Maybe he did pick up on it. Now it it just doesn't. It's not tracking. Um, and then they say, "Hey, the transporter works." And he goes, "Yay! You can't beam down." <laughs> right? Yeah, we changed our <laughs> mind. Yeah, sorry about that.
4: However, your request will be taken up at the next full session of Gideon's Council.
2: And then on the Enterprise view screen, we see a close up of him pushing the button to turn off the thing. And it's like, how does the Enterprise view screen seeing a close up of his fingers pushing a button? Doesn't make any sense. So
1: he's gone. Let's just establish that we are a little little more than halfway through the second act. Yeah. What has how has the story advanced? Whether it's on the bridge of the enterprise, the real enterprise, or with or among, you know, between Kirk and O'Donnell. Like like the only thing that has advanced the story at all is the appearance of Odonna dancing through yeah. the corridor of the fake enterprise. But otherwise we're no further along and yeah. you feel that this episode just is just dragging its feet. Well, if this is what I
2: mean by like your story contains boredom or frustration, you don't want your audience to be bored and frustrated, right. you know, <laughs> like I'm just going, Oh, what's going to, when's, when's something
0: going to happen? You know? Absolutely. Enterprise to Starfleet command enterprise to Starfleet command. Captain Kirk here, red priority, red
5: priority. Isn't it in working order?
2: It seems to be. And again, this goes back to your point of
1: Kirk would know that this isn't the Enterprise. But, I mean, he should take one look. First of all, he should have picked up as soon as he beamed aboard. the, board, the first, you know, He's still in the transport room looking around going like, what the hell's going on
2: here? Let me ask you this question. Do you have a favorite chair, like the chair you watch TV from or the couch that you sit in all the time? Of course I do. So if you sat down in that chair and the cushions weren't exactly as squishy as they normally would, wouldn't you notice it
1: right away? For sure. For sure. Absolutely. So like what so like he should have the moment he should have sat in that chair, in the captain's chair, he should have said Not my chair. This is not my chair. Right. (laughs) Not my chair. What is it? Some like authentic replica? (laughs) I mean,
2: there's just no, it's just, I know, we'll we'll move on, but there's no way they could replicate this in a way that can fool Kirk.
1: I mean, mean, that's a whole other thing. Like, forget about just finding the space to do this. They're not even members of the Federation. Nobody on Gideon knows anything about, about the Federation, about a starship, and they're able to build a replica that fools Captain Kirk, not buying it. Well, yeah, I mean, and there's like, I mean, if he went into his quarters,
2: are his clothes in the drawers? You know, like, there's just no way that they could pull this off.
5: Right. What did you do?
0: Put the ship out of warp speed. Out of what? Space terminology. We're no longer moving faster than the speed of light. I've trimmed down to sublight speed until we find out where we are.
2: So you've been letting the ship just fly faster than the speed of light. You have no idea where you are. <laughs> and only now did you say, hey, maybe we should slow down. Instead of what he should be doing is going... We have to go top speed back to Gideon. Right. That's got to be where my crew is. Right. Like, you know, I'll Go back to Gideon, you know. And again, he can't recognize that the ship is not actually slowing down or wasn't actually traveling at warp speed.
5: So quiet. So peaceful. And it's beautiful.
2: And he
1: looks at her and says, Yes. Yes, it is. Very, very beautiful. This is where I check out. I mean, I checked out for a lot of reasons already. But his crew is gone and he's just going to give up on that because he's just going to be interested in like like checking out Odonna now. I mean, at least in at least in Wink of an Eye, he was he was faking it to an extent. He was uh, manipulating her. Like yeah. he was manipulating her because he was trying to get the Enterprise back. You're not seeing any of that here. And, I mean, they seem to be telling us that he is genuinely attracted to her, and even by
2: the end of the episode, kind of genuinely in love with her, which we have no reason to believe that's the case. And this is, you know, so we talked about before that, man, you know what? Kirk isn't nearly the womanizer that he gets, you know, blamed, that he gets called today. Right. Uh-huh. This is the kind of episode where it comes from. You, there's, he, his crew is gone, and you're just going to flirt with this woman? Like, Absolutely. What right, right. Totally. Totally we get in this thing of can we stay here forever
0: and it is cute well let's see power that's no problem it regenerates and food we we have enough to feed a crew of 430 for five years so that should last us
1: forever. and he's just like going to be content with hanging out with this with this woman on the uh, an empty starship for the rest of his life like you know doing whatever we, we know what that whatever is going to yeah. be like I just don't think Kirk would do that. That That's totally out of character for Kirk. And it's just one of a couple instances in the latter part of the third season where Kirk acted completely out of character compared to his, his dedication to his ship and his crew and everything we've seen so far. The other one being Requiem for Methuselah it's
2: so funny my 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 what is in fact the worst episode of star trek it just kind of keeps shifting <laughs> i obviously hated who who gods destroy i certainly don't like this for a different set of reasons
5: yeah yeah you know
2: sure. but they're all not good um again i would still rather go watch spock's brain than any of these um, <laughs> a, but,
1: that's a bold statement <laughs> my friend and when i agree with all my life i've dreamed of being
5: alone
0: most people are afraid of being alone
5: where i come from People dream
0: of it. Why are the people of Gideon like that?
5: Gideon? I told you I don't know where I come from.
1: Well, you did tell us that because we're we're hearing a conversation that we already heard before. Well, it, you know what? It, it goes to, remember we were talking about Lord Garth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in Whom <he> destroyed,
2: <laughs> and that his plan makes no sense. Like he keeps doing these things that are not helping him achieve his goal. Her memory loss thing, if the goal is I want Captain Kirk to care about my planet then the whole memory loss thing doesn't help you right it has no purpose um and then there's this moment where she she says
5: i want to ease your feeling of dread your fear that all your crew no longer exists
2: which is a mean thing to say a eh? and then we have this music sting and kirk has this big reaction like you haven't already been thinking about that i mean it's yeah. you know that you had to have her say it.
0: what makes it so impossible to be alone
5: Because there are so many of us, so many, there is no place, no street, no house, no garden, no beach, no mountain that is not filled with people. Each one of us would kill in order to find a place alone to himself who would willingly die for
2: it. What they are saying is that the problem with overpopulation is one of space that really isn't the I mean it could eventually become the problem with overpopulation. The problem with overpopulation is one of resources
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you
2: know like so if you wanted to make a show about overpopulation, it's about water and food and pollution and energy and all those things that well, those are the problems
1: though, those are are the problems and in 1798 Thomas Malthus published. An essay on the principle of population, which predicted that on a global scale, the human population would outgrow its ability to feed itself. So even around the turn of the century, 1798, you had people already thinking, wait a minute, what happens when the population exceeds its ability to feed itself? And that is the issue that you're talking about.
2: By the way, Malthus is one of the guys that leads to Darwin, because Malthus says that populations always expand beyond their ability to support themselves, and then they retract because they don't have the resources, and that's part of why Darwin goes, and that's how why they evolve. Um, pa- by the way, part of the reason that Malthus was wrong—and Malthus, I think, has been kind of disproven in some ways—but uh-huh. um, part of the reason that he's wrong is that—and part of the reason that the population bomb—things didn't go that way— is the invention of different kinds of agriculture that we're able to feed a lot more people with a lot less land, and that's part of why our population has boomed so much. But we still have limited resources, you know? Sure. you come to kill. And then there's a hard look, and then he says, Odonna, have you come
1: to die? And she starts to cry. How does he come up with that? No idea. I have no wait. wait did you come to die? What? I don't know.
5: I don't care. I only know I'm here. I only know I'm happy.
2: And then they kiss. And there is a big music sting. And then as they're kissing, on the view screen behind them, suddenly, there are all these faces. This freaked me out as a kid.
1: It freaked me out as a kid. It freaked me out as a kid. I mean, this is one of the few moments one of the only moments that that actually was very effective like seeing all those faces on the screen
2: yeah no it really did freak me out Kirk doesn't see it there is no I, I'm not even gonna ask the question there is no reason why these faces show up on the screen at this moment
1: exactly like why why reveal themselves
2: yeah why it doesn't make any you know why did why are we not orbiting Gideon anymore why reveal these faces at this moment it just makes no sense but right. it did creep me out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is the end of Act Two. Now all I have to do is find a medical kit. And I can completely cure this. Cure? Yes, the irritation will be gone.
5: What will happen if you do not find one? Will you become sick and die?
2: <laughs> and she's kind of excited by the principle, you know? Yes. <laughs> and then Kirk seems to discover. Do you know uh,
0: I don't even remember how this happened.
2: I have a theory and maybe you'll, and I'm curious if this is something that you have is I think the voiceover where he talks about losing nine minutes and where he talks about how he got that wound was added later that maybe that's what Fred Freiberger was writing the day after they were shooting.
1: You know, that is very possible. That's very, very possible. But what I do know is that there was a scene filmed, but cut for time where as Kirk is sort of giving Odana toward the Enterprise, where they're just walking around, just killing time, they find themselves <laughs> in sickbay. <laughs> yeah, killing time. Uh, where they find themselves in sickbay, and Odonna picks up a medical instrument and uh, has an accident where she loses a finger, and oh my Kirk, god! And and Kirk watches her finger regenerate in real time oh so so this, that's interesting. This, this this sort of establishes if the scene was kept in the episode it would have better established like like why don't they just make like the men and uh, the yeah. you know, sterilize more men and women right. because that that would regenerate but in terms of the uh you know what you were talking about with uh the nine minutes uh it's possible that that you know that you know Freiburger still writing for the episode when i'm already wrapped uh might have been the issue there
2: well because the way that Shatner performs this moment, he perform the beat work he does, that would be the acting term is discovery. Like, you know, I didn't I don't even know how this happened. Mm. That he's discovering that thought at that moment. But he already had that thought a long time ago because it's in the voiceover. That's why it seems weird to me. And then we start to hear this beating heart sound. Do you hear that?
5: Yes. It sounds like an engine. No.
0: The ship's engines don't make that kind of sound. I do like Kirk's line where he says, I know every sound that the ship might make.
1: But not everything the ship would do. Could do, not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're starting to get scared.
2: And so they go to a viewing port and they, he fiddles with the things and he opens it up and there
1: are all the faces staring at them. And the way it, the, Kirk is more scared than Odonna is, but why should Odonna be scared? She knows exactly what's going on. And then the f- people, the faces of the people disappear, and then we have stars. Yep.
2: I, and again, I wrote down, you know, why is this happening?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like the heartbeat of all those people, and thousands upon thousands more pressing against the ship. It is really crowded on this planet. <laughs> yeah, it is very crowded. Exactly. I mean, look, I think that's there. There's a good, there's a really good provocative episode in there. That just, but that's not, that's not what they filmed. I mean,
2: you can't they can't afford it, obviously. But the way to show this is that Kirk should be trapped in a mass of people. Right. He he should experience the overpopulation, Mm -hmm. not experience the opposite of overpopulation, which that's a lot of
1: extras
2: (laughs) is a lot of extras. And and by the way, you know, again, why are we hearing the heartbeats now? And we didn't hear them earlier and we're not going to hear them again in a minute. What did it flick a switch?
0: Yeah. So that we won't keep trying to find out where we are. That We'll be content to stay here. Be content.
2: And he does not react well to that. Be
0: content!
2: (laughs) Not until I find
0: out what happened to my crew. Are they dead? I don't know. Did you kill them so you could have the ship to yourself?
2: And she's starting to act a little bit weird. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we suddenly are watching this from the view screen from the council chamber on Gideon.
1: This should have been the reveal that this is not the Enterprise. Right here. Right. Not, yeah. not in the beginning of the first act. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And she says,
5: I never felt like this before.
1: And Kirk says, I've never
0: felt like this before either.
2: So is he saying like he's he thinks she's saying she's falling in love and now he's saying the same thing?
1: Yep. Yeah. It's so, I mean. It's so out know. of character. Like, yeah, my Kirk's, my crew is gone. I have no idea how to find him. Eh, why not I guess there are, there are worse people to be stuck on a starship with
2: you're some weird woman with no memory who you know like the, the, it, to me this is the note I wrote down I think this moment is disrespectful to both Edith Keeler and Miramani wow you are absolutely right it is I mean it's like no you've been in love dude right like this this ain't it
5: <laughs> this is the way one looks one is developing a sickness
0: there's no sickness on your
5: planet, remember? No, there will be. There will be sickness. There will be death.
2: She's faints. He picks her up. He's walking around the corridor. And there is the Ambassador
1: Hoden. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> yes, Captain Kirk. Our experiment has passed the first stage. But she's ill. And we're grateful to you for her illness. You have done well, my daughter. And
2: he takes her away from him.
4: Guard the captain well. We shall need him for a long time.
2: And that
1: is the end of Act Three. Thank goodness.
2: <laughs> Act Four, we're back on the bridge, getting some bad news from Starfleet that they're saying, no, you can't do it.
1: Uh, this Admiral, Admiral Fitzgerald, yeah. is played by Richard Durr. So he should look familiar because he was the uh, Commodore who uh, assigned the Enterprise to deal with Lazarus in the alternative factor. Problem is, is that in the alternative factor, his name was Commodore Barstow. And in Mm. uh, the way uh, the Mark of Gideon, his name is Admiral Fitzgerald. So maybe he got married, took his wife's name. (laughs) Sure, something like that. Um,
2: And Spock is trying to convince them that, you know, you should let me beam down and says that he does, he knows the ambassador is lying and that he's holding the captain. And, And there's a thing that people do sometimes in screenplays, which is, There's no reason that the that you wouldn't have this character say this thing out loud, except you're trying to extend um, suspense. Mm -hmm. The the most successful uh, version of this that I know of is the book The Da Vinci Code, Mm -hmm. which is it's very obvious that he actually knows the important information. He's just not telling us. And so Spock is saying, look, I can prove to you that this that they're holding him and that they've lied to us but doesn't actually tell them the thing about the coordinates. That should be the first thing you said. But he's not saying that.
4: Permission denied, Admiral. I wish to
3: state for the record that your decision is completely arbitrary.
2: It's not arbitrary. They have reasons. <laughs> um, and they, But the Admiral's gone. Now we cut to, her, you know, she's in bed and talking to her dad about her death and what's
4: going to happen. What is it like to feel pain?
5: It is like... Like when you see the people have no hope for happiness, father, you feel great despair and your heart is heavy because you know you can do nothing.
1: Pain is like that. Now there's a moment that had the episode worked, would have been really, really effective. Like it really would have been like, wow, can you imagine – can you imagine feeling that way about death and pain? Because we're not engaging in what the episode's about.
2: Mm-hmm. We're not experiencing emotionally the overpopulation. We're not experiencing what it is not to have pain. We're not experiencing what it is to feel pain for the first time.
4: You don't know what she may have, but we do. She has vegan chorio-meningitis.
1: <laughs> oh! Oh, yeah. Well, at, least, at least she doesn't have xenopylosithemia.
2: Yeah, that's true, because that doesn't have a cure. Whereas this, Kirk had, and they cured it within 24
4: hours. Yes, our prime minister learned about you during our negotiations. That's why we brought you here. Your blood provided the microorganisms which infected her.
2: It's just like the most ridiculous plan.
1: (laughs) Well, Well, let me ask you a point. Like, what kind of a burden would you feel knowing that your blood was taken without your consent to infect the population of a race so that half of them could die off and the other half could breathe again. I mean, like I, I, that would not sit well with me. I'd be pretty messed up by that.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. It is a weird thing. Uh, it, it's just, you know, they could have just asked for the blood
1: like, or what, it, why didn't, why didn't the Federation Kirk through the Federation, uh, offer to repopulate the, the Species on on the other planet, on Another planet, they, or yeah, yeah. There
2: were other there were other things that could. This is a really weird plan to do this thing. <laughs> and then Kirk decides to fight them. It's a pretty good little fight, you know. Throws guy in a guy some action, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it doesn't work. They grab him. You're mad. Oh, we are desperate. And then on the Enterprise, they say, "I
3: don't understand how Starfleet can deny us permission to beam down to search for the captain."
2: this lack of belief of it's like, no, this is a diplomatic mission with a planet we've never been to. And you're in something like the military. The idea that this idea that we're shocked that they're giving us orders is doesn't work either.
3: Right. Unfortunately, I must violate a direct order from Starfleet. That's the best possible decision you can make. Spock. I'm with you.
2: I'd be curious to hear what, how Ralph would have staged this because it's really static and boring. The yeah. It's a stage. Yeah, for sure. And for, Finally, we get to him asking for the coordinates and exposing that the coordinates don't match.
1: Mm-hmm. Finally. And by the way, when Scotty repeats the coordinates back, he 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 recites them off the top of his head. He's not reading anything. Oh. You know, oh. Uh, like he, he remembers what the coordinates are, but he's not like looking like a clipboard or anything. But yet no one at this point, not even Spock, was a, a, a Spock who like should – Immediately recognize that the numbers are transposed but again another aspect that just does not work because he was saying to the ambassador that he
2: can prove that they they took kirk and it was obvious then that he knew but didn't say it and if scott if yeah you're right if scotty doesn't even have to read it from something he should know too i was given two different sets of coordinates Yep. Mm-hmm. i shall beam down at once mr scott you have the con and mccoy wants to go with him and spock says no in that case, it's the worst
3: possible decision you can make, Spock.
2: <laughs> Which is kind of funny. And then he says... This will
3: not take long. Isn't that just about what Captain
1: Kirk said before he left? Kind of, but here's the thing. How would Scotty know that if he wasn't in the transporter room? Well, and uh, so I think it's... This is why I think it's doubly bad. That's
2: totally true. It's That's bad. And the only reason they did that had kirk say that it was it didn't make sense for him to say that the only reason they did that is to have this line here
1: yeah yeah right but it doesn't make sense because it's coming yep. from scotty who wasn't in the room
2: but spock beams down and materializes on the enterprise and by, by the way one thing i thought too is like man if space is at such a premium the moment this scam ended you would think that they would fill up this space you totally know? yeah and spock walks through the corridor and then we cut to really weird angle looking up through a glass table at kirk and this is the scene that i think i wasn't in the edited version that i saw growing up or or i think it was in there where he's just saying you know but but doesn't go into the stuff about sterilization birth control and and
1: basically about abortion because they go right at this stuff yeah they do i mean like like look at this example of a TV series in 1969 when it aired, talking about pro-life sterilization, abortion, and yet the episode is just bad. Like, what if the episode was actually good?
2: Well, it's like there's the Battlestar Galactica episode that deals with the idea of abortion that is really good, a great science fiction approach to that concept. By the way, I am not 100% sure, but my guess is that the phrase pro-life did not yet exist when they were shooting this episode.
0: Your report to the Federation was a tissue of lies. You described environmental, physical, cultural conditions that would make Gideon a paradise.
4: And so it was. A long, long time ago, what we described was true.
2: And they were all so healthy that they just kept reproducing. And the birth rate rose and nobody's dying unless they're really, really old.
0: And why haven't you introduced... Any of the new techniques to sterilize men and women.
4: Every organ renews itself. It would be impossible. He says, well, then let's have some
2: contraception. It's just so weird. It's like, so Kirk is like pitching, you know, condoms and birth control
4: to this. It's really weird. yeah, Yeah. The people of Gideon have always believed that life is sacred. If population has gotten
2: as bad as it is, this, I just, I don't believe that. You know what I mean? Like that they would let their planet go so nuts. And the whole thing they're doing is to kill people. That is what they're literally doing right now. Yeah,
1: that's right.
2: So they're violating exactly the thing that he said is the most important thing to them.
1: Well, let me um, ask you a question. What what if this was Earth we were talking about? Like what yeah. if the population was so bad, like like what I examined at the top of this conversation, where we lost the ability to feed feed ourselves and to— provide for ourselves, and that global warming has made even water very, very scarce, less scarce as it is in California right now because of the drought. What if this was Earth we were talking about? How do you solve that problem? So, Scott,
2: I have worked very hard to avoid making a, a statement on any particular political side <laughs> <laughs> throughout this entire show. I don't know that I can answer your question without revealing that I'm a bleeding heart liberal, you know, because we are facing all of those things. And what I think is going to happen is that the wealthy countries are going to continue to steal resources from the poor countries. So there's going to be a lot of problems and the poor countries are getting, going to get hit by climate change much more than the rich countries are Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. who
2: have used up all the energy and, and actually have taken more out of the earth than anybody else. And personally, I have no problem with, serious serious birth control to reduce the population uh
1: i mean but that's that's the only alternative yeah. i mean really is so so they're down now every i'm not that everyone
4: probably didn't know where my politics were anyway but <laughs> there now it's fully out there we are incapable of destroying or interfering with the creation of that which we love so deeply and it's like no you're not you're literally killing your daughter right now
0: mm-hmm.
2: like that is obviously not true
0: the virus you need is very rare.
4: Who will provide it? You will stay. Your blood will provide it.
2: If they're going to force Kirk to stay, there was no reason to build the fake Enterprise. There was no reason to do anything else. They could just put Kirk in a jail cell.
1: Right, absolutely. I do not offer my
0: life for this purpose. I have many plans.
1: <laughs> like, so he's like, I got, I got other things going <laughs> I on. I got other it's, stuff to do. Like, I mean, like, it's just like, boy, did this episode need G. Kuhn.
2: well and and then what we hear is that the hope was that my daughter that you'd fall in love with my daughter and then because you loved her you would wish to stay even though she's gonna die (laughs) you know and it's and by the way the fact this is part of why I think it was a mistake to have Kirk really attracted to her Mm -hmm. right because he shouldn't be falling in love with her Uh, Spock is on the bridge touches one button and says exact duplicate the
1: Enterprise. <laughs> so it took him like 30 seconds, you know? Yeah, it, 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 which is 30 seconds longer than it probably should have taken it, but that's okay.
5: Scott here, Mr. Spock.
1: I am
3: speaking to you from the bridge of the Enterprise.
4: You're
2: aware? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and then there's a really weird bit of, of dialogue because McCoy says,
3: Is it in orbit, Mr. Spock? In orbit, Doctor. In a manner of speaking, Gideon is in orbit. And the ship is on Gideon.
1: I mean, come on. You got to be kidding me. That's his response. (laughs) Well, and it's like, and again, it's
2: where's the urgency? If you have time to make that statement, shouldn't you be going, where the hell's captain? You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) And then we hear as he's walking away to look for the captain, he has a log, which basically tells us almost everything we already knew. But then also says, it is my intention to locate the captain and warn him before the experiment
3: reaches its conclusion. Which logic indicates means the end of the captain's
2: life as he knows it. Very dramatic.
1: <laughs>
2: so uh, Kirk is in with O'Donnell, begging to bring McCoy down.
1: Even
0: if she lives, her blood will provide the same serum you'll need as mine would.
4: No, her death at so young an age will let the people know for certain that our life cycle can be changed. It is the symbol that will bring forth the dedicated young volunteers. The serum in their new blood will change Gideon.
2: And I wrote down, wait, you're going to kill all the young people? That's what it sounds like he's saying. It
1: sounds like that's what he's saying. Yeah. Like, why not kill the old people? Uh, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> um,
2: and, 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 you know, and all that all that talk about life from before, obviously, is BS. Because she's like, yeah, we're going to kill a whole bunch of people. <laughs>
5: I asked you to make our journey last forever. It began here.
0: And it can continue. If only you
2: allow me,
1: I can cure you.
2: So it's not just that Kirk loves her. It's that she loves Kirk. And it, I just don't believe any of it.
1: I, I don't buy the love yeah. uh, at all. And I completely agree with you that Kirk falling in love with Odonna so quickly. And then, you know, later what we see, what we see in, uh, Requiem for Methuselah Ugh. is yeah. totally a betrayal of Edith Keeler and Miramani. You're absolutely yep. right, and it almost looks to me like she dies. By the way, in that moment, yeah, it looks like because she like puts her head back yeah. and puts her in the bed uh spot comes
2: around the corner we get an fsnp we get a kind of nice move where he waits for the other guy to punch and tosses him down the hall kind of cool
1: that, um, that that guy that he tossed down the hall was jay jones the stunt guy who uh, uh stepped on the rock in uh, the apple and and uh you know the, went, one went in, to in went uh, the hospital after our sent him across the yeah. set. mr
0: Spock, we have a patient for dr mccoy have scotty beam us up
2: and we end up at sickbay,
1: and hey, she's alive. She's alive. McCoy does it again.
2: <laughs> and, she's, and Kirk is smiling at her, and she says, How
1: can you bear to look at me after the way I deceived you? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How can we, you? you, you should. Get off my ship. That's you know, where we... <laughs> he should say... Get off my ship. Aha, so what is your ship?
2: (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's like, you know, we said in uh, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield that maybe Kirk is sometimes a little bit too nice to people that mess with him and take over his ship and do terrible things. example. It's a great example. Like, no. Yeah, you did lie to me. And you did actually plan on you dying and me being trapped on your planet, killing off half the population. Yeah, I'm a little mad at you. I'm a little pissed, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but instead he's just smiling at her and looking at her and just really happy.
5: You are a gentleman, Captain Kirk. Thank you, man. You are no longer needed on Gideon. I can take your place there.
2: And he seems bummed because he's clearly in love with her. And then it's later on, we're walking through busier corridors.
5: As crowded as my planet is, I could wish for it to hold one more person.
1: uh, That's okay. (laughs) So, no, thanks.
2: (laughs) We have romantic music. And she says, I will miss you, James Kirk. And that is the end of the episode.
1: uh, Not only was that, that other act break, the weakest, this is the weakest ending. Yeah. Of an episode. I, this is an episode. They just, I'm guessing that Arthur Singer, the story editor and Fred Freiberger, the producer, They probably took their cracks at it after Stanley Adams and the other guy did their passes at it and just went, I don't know how to save this thing. I don't know. I I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make this episode better, but we're out of time. We got to put this in front of the camera. So let's just hope for the best. And what they got was one of the worst. What, what, what did other people
2: think about this episode?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked. So George Slavin, who co-wrote the screenplay, said, well, I was 50% happy. I only know what people tell me, and that is that they are entertained by it. Really? But what could have happened if I would have sunk my teeth into something more real? I would It would have been much more entertaining. Then Fred Freiberger said, one of my pet themes is overpopulation, and I thought this was a good idea. We were taking a shot at something fresh and gutsy, and it worked out pretty well. That one was also shot entirely on the Enterprise. So if we had to do the show under those restrictions, we had to come up with some good stories, and that one worked. Okay, Fred. Okay, Fred, whatever you say. And then Sharon Acker, who played Odonna, said, The Mark of Gideon marked a special show for me. William Shatner and I are both Canadians and we're old friends. When I walked onto the set of Star Trek, Bill and I had not seen each other or acted together for 12 years. We enjoyed the reunion, and I think that special feeling shows between Captain Kirk and O'Donnell. Now, as much as I don't buy Kirk's love for Odonna, I do think that Shatner and Sharon Acker actually like have good chemistry together. But yeah. I don't think this episode works. Rewatching it for the first time, seriously, Steve... It's been years and years and years since I've seen this episode. And I, as I was getting ready to rewatch it, I thought, well, maybe it's not as bad as I remember. Maybe having this whole fresh new look at the original series since we've been doing Enterprise Incidents will make me appreciate it so much more or at least a little more. Maybe I'll, there will be things that I that I like about it, like Plato's Stepchildren. Don't like the episode, but there there are very, things, very yeah. good merits there. Um no not happening uh i just don't think it works and there are things there that if fully realized would have been a topical episode topical in 69 topical in 2022 and beyond much like the way let that be your last battlefield was topical in 69 and topical in 2022 and sadly beyond but unfortunately it just doesn't happen yeah,
2: I, I, the, the biggest thing to me, and obviously we've we've beaten on this episode quite a bit, so I hope people find that enjoyable. But <laughs> it's that our characters are not acting in character. That's the biggest thing. Right. Is that Kirk is going to fight, do everything he can, go to the last possible extremity to save his ship and his crew, and nothing is more important to him than that. And that Kirk is not here. Exactly. Spock and McCoy are not acting in character. You know, we're just it it. it yeah, it's it's funny. You said this a few episodes ago.
1: These, these people, it's like, seems like they never watched the show, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's true. It yeah. feels like it because you don't have anybody left who was yeah. there when the show was really great. Yeah. I mean, like, can you
2: imagine the balance of terror, doomsday machine, mirror, mirror, Kirk
1: showing up in this? He wouldn't, he would have done none of these things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, and I think, you know, when, when I was younger, much, much younger. Uh, so much younger than so today. much younger than today, <laughs> and I was watching this in the rotation on on the channel seventeen in Philadelphia. You know, if this came across, I had to watch it. Of course, that, that or nothing. But over the years, you know, between VHS and DVD and Blu Ray and streaming, I watch the episodes I like or really like or love. This is not one of them, and it's not one that I miss. And not watching it doesn't make me feel like I've missed anything in the in the arc of the original series. Agreed. So that's our thoughts. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Check out
2: Facebook, search for enterprise incidents, enter incidents on Twitter, enterprise incidents on Instagram. Most importantly, we'd love you to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And please, if you haven't already leave that review on Apple podcasts, it really does help us out. We, there are people who are literally finding this show every day. And the reason they're finding it every day is because of people Posting on social media, saying that they like the show and leaving those reviews. It really, really is helpful. And if you wanna support the show, we would be very grateful for you to go to the show notes and right on top you'll see a link to Anchor where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month, as much as 999 a month. Think about it, t- think of it as a tip chart. 99 cents is a lot cheaper than a movie or those streaming services or anything else you're paying for. And it really will help us keep going with the show. So is
1: 999, uh, by the way. <laughs> so does 999.
2: Yeah. By the way, uh, I was racking my brain to come up with a Cinephiles episode that had anything to do with Mark of Gideon. Here is what I came up with a little kid stranded alone by himself on an island with a beautiful black horse. The black stallion is the closest thing I could come up with. Being it alone in an empty space is a beautifully made film uh, that we did on the cinephiles years ago. And if you want to reach me, you can do it at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. How
1: would they reach you, Scott? Uh, they can reach me at movie Mance on Twitter and Instagram. And Steve, I have to ask you because yes. I was going to ask you about the cinephiles, about if there was a, a Mark of Gideon themed episode that correlated to the cinephiles, and I thought you were going to tell me Soylent Green. We have never done Soylent Green. <laughs> no, we haven't done that. Is certainly a movie that, boy, is that just like Mark of Gideon? Is an episode that or a movie that foreshadowed things to come, yep. and that did it effectively. And by the way, Soylent Green, Steve, people, it's, it's people. people. <laughs> People! Yes, I love that movie, Soylent Green. Wow, Chuck Charlie like- was made, made between Planet of the Apes, The Omega Man, and Soylent Green. He just had that trilogy of like post-apocalyptic movies. I love Planet of the Apes. I like Soylent
2: Green. I watched The Omega Man again maybe a decade ago. It did not hold up for me.
1: I Am Legend is good, but yeah, you're right. Omega Man doesn't do so well. Uh, but yes, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at movie MovieMance. Like Steve said, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We love knowing what you think, and we love reading what you think when you go to our Facebook page, Enterprise Incidents, because we engage with our enterprisers quite a bit, and make sure that you share Enterprise Incidents on your social media platforms. So like Steve said, people are discovering us every day, and with your help, more people can discover Enterprise Incidents. Start from the beginning, and that will give them a whole lot of catching up to do, and hopefully they will enjoy doing that, because we hear from a lot of people who do enjoy doing that. So, Steve, we got through Whom Gods Destroy. We got through The Mark of Gideon. Next time on Enterprise Incidents, we have an episode that is an improvement, certainly certainly more action, more entertainment. I wouldn't say that's a great episode, but by late third season standards, it'll do the trick. <laughs> With us next time for The Lights of Zetar. The Lights of Zetar is next on Enterprise Incidents. Until then, keep going forward.